Himalaya. You're listening to the first episode of the Stock Market 101 with Josh Brown, part of the Understanding Wealth series available exclusively on Himalaya Learning. I'm your host, Jared Schwartz. Himalaya Learning is an audio learning platform that provides an extensive library of courses straight to your ears from the world's greatest minds, including Tim Ferriss, Malcolm Gladwell, and more. To listen to the rest of this course and others like it, go to Himalaya.com stocks and enter the promo code STOCKS to get your first 14 days free. Our expert for the course on the stock market is Josh Brown, CEO of Ritholtz Wealth Management and a CNBC contributor. Brown was ranked the top person to follow on Twitter in the financial space by the Wall Street Journal. Known as the Reform Broker, Josh will teach the 101 course for everyone on the stock market. Here's the Stock Market 101 with Josh Brown. The stock market is a place where people can take the extra money they have that they're not living on, their savings, and they can put it in the hands of a corporation with the idea that the corporation will do all the work in trying to grow that capital through success and profits, and they can passively reap the benefit of that, whether it's through a rising stock price for the corporation or through payouts to shareholders like dividends. So it's really a vehicle to increase the value of the money that you have saved. But of course, it's not for free. There's a lot of risk that comes along with being able to do that. What moves the market in the short term is sentiment and how people feel. And what moves the market in the long term is the increasing or decreasing value of the fundamentals of the companies that make up the market. Let's just say that a fund could be a bond fund or a stock fund. And so that's really just the wrapper. It's not actually an investment. It's something wrapped around investments that allows you to own many of them at once. So let's just do stock versus bond. Let's say the Jared Schwartz Corporation wants to borrow money from investors and agree to pay them back a certain interest rate over time in exchange for the money that they're borrowing. That would be the Jared Schwartz Corporation issuing a bond. And anybody who wants to can buy that bond. You don't necessarily, as the corporation, have to interact with that investor. They have purchased that bond on the open market or directly from you the day that you issued it. And you have agreed for their money to give them an interest rate on it. And then one day that bond matures, meaning it's no longer owed to anyone. If you want to think about this in practical terms, the Jared Schwartz Corporation issues a million dollars worth of bonds with an interest rate of 5%. So you are agreeing to pay $50,000 a year on that million dollars that you're borrowing as the corporation, and the people who are investing are getting that $50,000 proportionate to how many of the bonds that they own. Okay. That's very straightforward. Equity is just as straightforward, but it works a little bit differently. In the first example, you're just taking capital and agreeing to pay out an interest rate. In the example of you issuing an equity, so Jared Schwartz company goes public and investors can buy shares in your company. That means they're not just there for the interest rate. They're there for the increase in value that they think your stock will give to them. So if you come public at $10 a share and I buy 1,000 shares, I've given you $10,000. And I did that 
because I think that you're going to go from $10 a share to someday $50 a share and that my $10,000 will become $50,000. So if the bond investment, you're really thinking about borrowing and lending. And with an equity investment, it's much more like a partnership where I am along for the ride for the growth of your company. The most prominent stock index, possibly the most important stock index in the world is the Dow Jones Industrial Average. This was an index of stocks that was created by Charles Dow, who was also the founder of the Wall Street Journal back in the 1890s. And he did it as a way of keeping track of what the overall stock market did each day, each week, each month, each year. So it's basically a mathematical calculation that factors in the prices of 30 companies. Those companies change. You know, for 50 years, IBM was in the index. It was just removed two weeks ago. Apple was added in 2013. There are a couple of companies that have been in it for decades. And then there are companies that come in and out of it. It's managed by S&P Dow Jones, which is an index provider. And what they're trying to do is capture the entirety of the market with just 30 stock symbols. So they want to have companies make up this index that are in a variety of different industries. So it will own banks, it will own healthcare companies, it will own technology companies, oil and gas, et cetera. When people say all over the world, what did the stock market do today? What they're really asking is how many points was the Dow up or down, right? So these days, the Dow Jones tends to move in a few hundred point increments a day. It's about 29,000 right now. And so that's really the way that most people think about what the stock market is doing. The S&P 500, Standard & Poor's 500, is 500 stocks instead of 30. Professionals tend to quote what the market did in the S&P and not the Dow because they think that broadness and the fact that there are more stocks making up that average is more indicative of the real market. But the truth is, if you look at a 30 or 40-year chart, the Standard & Poor's 500 and the Dow Jones 30 typically end up in the same place. So one is considered a retail measure of the market. One is considered professional. It honestly doesn't matter. From an investing standpoint, though, very few people buy the fund that tracks the Dow. Most people buy the fund that tracks the S&P 500, the thinking being that diversification or owning more stocks at once is a better way to invest. The NASDAQ, typically people are talking about the NASDAQ 100, which is the 100 largest, most prominent companies that trade on the NASDAQ exchange. There's also the NASDAQ composite, which is every stock on the NASDAQ, but let's focus on the NASDAQ 100. This is typically high growth. You know, Historically, it's been younger companies, companies that are more exciting, a little bit flashier than the companies on the New York Stock Exchange. Right now, there's a lot of overlap because the biggest companies on the NASDAQ have become the biggest companies, period. But it's names like Microsoft, Intel, Apple, and these days, you've got companies like Tesla. Basically, the way to think about it is it's a much more aggressive index because the companies that make it up have higher valuations, have higher growth prospects, and are more volatile stocks. I think all three indexes do a fantastic job at what they're trying to accomplish, which is give people a snapshot of what the equity markets, the stock markets have done each day, each week. There are always discrepancies between them. They don't exactly do the same thing each day. 
The NASDAQ has been a much bigger winner than the S&P 500 in recent years because it's got all those growth stocks in it that have become very in vogue right now. But I think overall, yes, if you want to know what the market did, those are three very good places to look to get a sense of what happened. An option is basically, they call it a derivative. And the word derivative means that it's a bet on the underlying stock. You can use an option two ways. You can use it to reduce your risk, or you can use it to increase your risk, hence increasing your potential reward. The way to think about an option is that not only do you have to get the direction of the stock right, you have to get the time frame right also. So if you say to me, Josh, I'm very upbeat or bullish on Apple. I want to buy the stock. It's $130 right now. I'm just going to buy it. Now, that's one way of, of course, making money from Apple if you're right. Now, if you say to me, I'm so bullish on Apple over the next three weeks and I don't have that much money, but I really want to magnify the money I have, then you would buy what's called a call option, which is a bet that Apple gets above a certain price before a certain date, specific date out in the future, all monthly options expire on the third Friday of each month. So you would say before the third Friday of November, I think Apple will be 20 points higher. Using a call option instead of buying the stock gives you a lot more bang for your buck because the option connected to the share price of Apple will be much more volatile. And in this case, volatile to the upside. So the way to think about that is don't think about it unless you've got, you know, at least five or six years of experience investing in individual stocks. I don't think people who don't know stocks well should be involved with options at all. The difference between a bond and a stock is really important. So if you say to me, I feel really good about Wells Fargo, the company, and I think if I lend them money at a 2% interest rate, I'm pretty much guaranteed to get my original money back plus collect that 2% every year for the next 10 years. So you would buy Wells Fargo's bond in that case. Now, if you say to me, Josh, I'm really bullish on Wells Fargo. I think the company is going to grow now that it had this big scandal and they switched CEOs and they're getting their acts back together. I think that Wells Fargo is going to be worth more 10 years from now than it is today. Then you would bypass the bond and you would buy the stock. Now, Stocks in general over time, when I say stocks, I mean the stock market has posted significantly higher returns than the bond market. However, it's had much more volatility, meaning more risk of seeing your investment lower rather than higher. So a general rule that's really good to remember and never forget, no matter who promises you otherwise, is that risk and reward are inextricably linked. And if you want more reward, you're going to have to assume more risk to get that reward. This is what they call an iron law of finance. And most of the major scandals throughout history have involved people promising investors the opposite. I can get you the same return, but taking less risk. And it never, ever truly works out that way. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Stock Market 101 with Josh Brown, part of the Understanding Wealth series exclusively on Himalaya Learning. To listen to the rest of this course and others like it, go to Himalaya.com stocks and enter the promo code stocks to get your first 14 days free. I hope to see you there.